This podcast uses adult language. Listener discretion is advised. This is Kevin. And this is Elizabeth. And this is the Lesson 83 podcast. Welcome back, Elizabeth. Hey, Kevin. So we wanted to talk a little bit today about what to expect from a local polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous community. Yeah. Both you and I have been very entrenched in our local communities for a while now. We both have come away with the groups or from the groups with a lot of positivity that we've yeah. really appreciated the groups by and large. Yeah, definitely. The com- the local communities in general have been a big, big part of my life. Yeah. So if you think you may not have a local polyamorous community, check the nearest urban center near you, especially in Western countries. Uh, I find that almost everybody has some sort of non-monogamous community around. Yeah. And a few potential ways you could find them are on meetup, meetup. Yeah, meetup.com. I see a lot of them on there. I see a lot of Facebook groups for various polyamorous communities. Some of them are real life meetups and there are a lot of more strictly online communities and other websites. But today we're going to focus on in-person. Local community can be really, really useful in my experience. And the number one reason from my life was the validation I got from meeting other non-monogamous people and seeing how they did things because we're not represented in the media. I know you and I have talked about that a little bit in the past. Yeah. And so it can be very, very useful and validating to see and understand what it's like to have a non-monogamous relationship in the real world. For sure. I've actually had friends say that they met me, that they like first saw me and my partners at events and they were like, oh, wow, it's actually a thing. Like you can have two or more partners and everybody get along and it's possible. (laughs) And that was kind of a shock. And I remember being new to the poly communities and feeling similarly. Yeah. Another great reason to join the communities is communities like the ones that I help run and that some of the ones that you are in charge of are educational and social groups. So you have an educational element where people are able to ask for advice or for people to talk about topics that are just good for any relationship. But we tend to focus more on in polyamorous relationships because we concurrently have more than monogamous people do. We At do. least uh, ethical monogamous people only tend to have one romantic relationship at a time. Yes. I definitely think that the combination education and social aspects are really helpful for these groups. They will often have like get togethers at little restaurants or a little brewery and everybody there is polyamorous or interested in open relationships of some kind. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool to show up and there be like 20 people there that you've never seen before. And you know that all of them are kind of on the same page regarding thinking about relationships. So really handy. And then educational portions, I feel like these groups have provided a lot of, we we can't, like you said, we don't get represented in the media a lot. So it's not like we can be like, check out this TV show or this movie or whatever, because it doesn't happen a lot for us. But Or what it does, it's really bad. It's really bad. (laughs) It's so bad. It's always bad. Every time, man. But we do, I feel like, give as much education as we can about the different books on how to deal with jealousy, on workshops, on relationship structures in that way. And like you said, a lot of them can be handy for any relationship. I think a lot of these tips like communicate well and check in are good for any relationship. But Mm -hmm. definitely polyamory makes it a little more complicated. (laughs) 
So we wanted to talk a little bit about some green flags and some red flags for what might be a sign that a community you're interested in being involved with will be an asset to you or maybe is something that you might want to steer away from. Yes. So a green flag, the leadership greeting new members and, you know, making a point to be approachable and people understanding that there is somebody to go to if you are having problems with somebody within the group. Yes. Feeling comfortable with leadership in general, I'd say. Yeah. And if you are somebody who's really nervous about coming to an event for your first time, both you and I agree that it's a great idea to message the group leadership and express your concerns. And they might even offer to ensure that you're welcomed and introduced to people. I know I, even though I'm a very overt and social person in a lot of circumstances, I hate going into a group of strangers completely. And so sure. that would definitely <laughs> make me feel a lot better. Yeah, I definitely, we've talked about this a couple times together, reaching out to the leadership of whatever event you're planning on going to and saying, hey, I'm new. Would you mind if I came and shook your hand? You know, we're obviously talking about non-COVID times. Maybe introduce me to a couple people that have been around for a while. They'll usually say absolutely, you mm -hmm. know, if they're if their leadership worth their salt, I would say. Also, another green flag would be a diverse set of leadership. So if the leaders look, behave or have different ideas to each other, that can be a great asset and a great sign that the group is representational of lots of different people and viewpoints, but also will be accepting of lots of different people. I definitely agree. Uh, if it's, you know, three straight white men up there, I might get a little nervous. But <laughs> if you've got a mix, you know, mix of genders and races and, you know, abilities, I feel like that's a good, good green flag for sure. And the last one that I had written down was uh, opportunities for involvement. So it not being just a one man or one woman show or one person show and for it to rather be something that is spread among other people and that if you are so inclined to are able to participate in in a more direct way. Yeah. A lot of volunteer opportunities generally. Um, I know the group that we're thinking of has pride events every year. Mm -hmm. That's really cool because members can come and volunteer at the little poly booth. It's a really good way for them to be involved or, or they can take up like positions on the board if there is such a board like for accounting or website management or what have you. Oh, and we were also going to talk about a zero tolerance policy type mm -hmm. of thing. This kind of goes back to having a diverse leadership, I think, because if they, if they don't at least make overt statements about diversity and having zero tolerance for bigotry and things like that, like the being open about it is the green flag for me. You know, like every group has its slight imbalances and can grow. But, you know, if a group is like, we will not accept this, this and this bigotry, that seems like a green flag for me. So I'm just going to read off the one for the local group. It says, <laughs> it says there will be zero tolerance for demeaning comments, harassment, abuse, or outing. This includes, but is not limited to negative or derogatory comments regarding race, class, religion, sexuality, disability, and mental health. Organize, organization leaders reserve the right to ban you indefinitely. I think that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. having the rules be very, very clear cut and evenly yes. enforced wherever practical I think is really, really important as well. And so yeah. to have something very, very clearly having a cutout for a lot of spaces is really important. And I was a leader in the group when we adopted that leadership or that 
that set of rules. And that was brought in because a co-leader was like, hey, we're missing some stuff and I'd like to add it. And I was like, excellent. Glad you're here. Glad you're contributing yeah. to this because yeah. I just wouldn't have thought that it was that important to have rules like that. And they had told me that it was really yeah. important and something that someone like themselves would feel more comfortable coming into a group if it was present. Yeah, I feel that way too. So it's been good. <laughs> now we can kind of pivot over towards red flags now. Yeah. Obviously, some of the clear cut ones would be bashing monogamous people just mm -hmm. because you're polyamorous and you don't agree with something about the institution of monogamy or marriage or any number of other parts of monogamous culture. That doesn't mm -hmm. give you a right to bash monogamy as a whole or monogamous people. Very true. Being dismissive of group members or their concerns, I think it's a big deal and a big red flag. Yeah. You mean of leadership? Mm-hmm. Or just kind of the members in general? I've, I've never really seen that kind of negativity in general, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, the, if it's happening in front of the leaders and they're not doing anything, then I might yeah. be more concerned. Um, because, you know, every group's going to have somebody that's not well-suited for being a generous human being. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> You're a generous human being, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. You as well. Thank you. <laughs> Other red flags that we wanted to make sure we cover propensity to date people within the group and use their power as a tool mm -hmm. yeah. from group leadership. Overt unicorn hunting, I find to be a big red flag if it's all just a whole bunch of couples using the group as a meat market, then mm -hmm. it might not feel like a safe place for a lot of the people I would want to hang out with. No. Yeah. And I think you and I have seen that primarily as reported by other groups in other states mm -hmm. that we haven't had in-person contact with because I've been lucky in the local communities to arrive and never see any kind of overt unicorn hunting, thank goodness. But it apparently mm -hmm. happens in some groups and that is not healthy. <laughs> and the flip side to the last green flag we had, having non-inclusive or vague rules oh, yeah. that seem to be applied yeah. not consistently. No. So those are all some great things. I think a little bit of background as to why we wanted to talk about this. In the lead up to releasing the podcast, I went on and asked the polyamorous subreddit mm -hmm. what their experience with their local community was. And a surprising number of people expressed a lot of dissatisfaction or a lot of frustration with their group. And I was really sad by that because... That is I've almost exclusively had positive experiences in my local community. Yeah. Obviously, I'm one of the people that help run it. And so maybe I'm biased. <laughs> my recommendation to people, if you come up and you find that there isn't a group that really fits with you or that there's no group existing yet, or you feel like the group that is in charge in a way that you feel like is responsible, mm -hmm. please start your own thing. That's what I did yeah. like eight years ago, and it's been a real blessing and useful community for people to be able to rely on. Yeah, it has been. I can say that for sure. I've had mostly positive experiences, too. Honestly, I can't even think of one like with the group that you're talking about, your group. Mm. That's been negative. So good job. <laughs> it's not just me. I, I have an awesome team of co-leaders. I, <laughs> I just I, I want to take all the credit for something that's definitely a group effort. Yeah, Polyamory, right? Hashtag polyamory. Of course, it's a group effort. <laughs> of, course of course, it's a group effort. <laughs> Got to have a committee. Um, 
Yeah, those are some some good red flags and green flags. Yeah, it's sad when I hear about people having negative experiences in their local communities, but it is totally possible to create your own, especially these days. I feel like starting it online would almost be easier and then transitioning post COVID into maybe in person as well. But like, yeah, yeah, there are there are a lot of groups. Not all of them are as welcoming, I guess. Yeah. Well, thanks, Elizabeth. Uh, We have another segment coming up in a little bit. All right. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Hello, everybody. This is Elizabeth of the Less Than 83 podcast. I do not have Kevin, my co-host here with me today because I am doing a one-on-one interview with Ken, who is in the local polyamorous community as well, and is in fact my boyfriend. So this will be an interesting little spin on that. Hi, Ken. Hey. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> Good. One of the things we wanted to talk about today is the fact that you've had a lot of years experience in the swinger community as well as the polyamorous community. That's correct. So I want to hear a little bit about some of the similarities and differences as you would describe them in your experiences in the swinger world versus the polyamorous world. Cool. Uh, first off, as my girlfriend said, <laughs> I'm Ken. Hello. I'm a 35-year-old polyamorous black man who's bi. I've been swinging since I was pretty young, uh, in my early 20s, about 23. It's when I first started. And I have been polyamorous, I'll say, for the last five or six years of my life. They're very similar in a way. As far as pros, you get to meet a bunch of really cool people. I've met people I've been friends with for years in both places. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot from people about other ways to have relationships, how deep and powerful things can be with someone where you don't have to complete their everything. And then in swinging, it's a lot more like a catch and go, stop and go fun. You know, you meet somebody, hopefully you continue to to catch up with each other over time. Maybe you don't. It's kind of a sometimes one and done situation. As far as cons, I'll say, <laughs> when it comes to, to swinging, you really, that is one of the things. You really don't get to meet people and be around them as long as you'd like to. Friendships are possible, but anything further into that friendship like you would with a poly relationship seems like it's not something that is okay or a commonplace thing uh, in a swing community. We tend to uh, just, you know, bump the uglies and run. <laughs> you know, you want to actually just kind of, it's more about a party, and it's it's very fast-paced, you know. Uh, that's very different from what I've experienced as far as uh, Polly's concerned. When it when it comes to polyamorous relationships I've had, they've they've grown and they've changed. I've had relationships where we're just friends with benefits all the way up to full-blown, let's get collared, and <laughs> some people I know get married through it. So it's definitely, you know, the biggest difference is being able to run back to a very specific person in your life or specific people in your life that you can continue to uh, to grow with a relationship. Whereas swinging, it seems like that's not frowned upon, but not very common. Can I ask you about, not that you're like not in the swinger community anymore, but it seems like you know more people who are polyamorous these days and yeah. tend to run in those circles a little more. Can I ask about what your transition-ish was like, kind of moving, discovering the poly community or the differences or or what led you into that? When I actually met someone I was comfortable being poly with, I was actually at a swingers event. 
And there is quite a bit of overlap in those communities, actually. Very often you'll see, obviously, people who are polyamorous and they want to meet other likely play partners or other open-minded people that they can probably get along with on many other levels. I mean, it could be sexual. It could be y'all shoot guns together. (laughs) There's all kinds of overlap there. So I had went to a kink event and I met someone there and we ended up just not doing anything, but just talking. And the next time we saw each other, we just talked some more and we're like, hey, we're just never going to really do a play thing. Maybe you're cool. (laughs) You know, maybe you just want to want to get to know me, which is super different from anything I've encountered when swinging before. And then over time, we kept hanging out until we developed a really strong relationship, really strong bond. And, you know, I still went to parties. So today um, they still saw people. And then, you know, later I asked about a relationship and they explained to me they were polyamorous. And I'm like, what does that exact mean? I thought we were all just having fun. And they're like, no, that is exactly what that is. But you can also have a deep, meaningful relationship uh, with me while still being married, while meeting other people, if you like. I like that. And before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the classic definitions, I guess, of polyamory versus swinging and how maybe those terms have evolved to encompass more in some way. So let's talk about that real quick. On this podcast, we, we tend to use the definition of polyamory as being, you know, many loves, the Greek and Latin root of multiple potentially romantic dynamics. But you and I were talking about how that's not always the case. Yes, yes. It seems like uh, <laughs> both swinging and poly, uh, polyamory, the words have just evolved beyond what they originally were. Just as a definition you said about polyamory, swinging was the idea of you, your spouse, and another couple swapping partners. That was all. There was not a lot of additional of fun in there, or there's no idea of you getting a unicorn or of cuckolding, or some people call it BBC lifestyle. A lot of those things were, were add-ons, you know. You can also be a single person and be in swinging when that, that's completely antithetical to the original termage. So it seems like uh, the word, the swinging as, as it was, has evolved into something completely different. And also the word poly, people tend to use it as a catch-all term for, well, different types of relationships, which, which, which seems to make more sense to me in a way. But you, um, you can be polyam- polyamorous in a way where everybody knows each other and everybody's comfortable and can call each other. And your, your uh, boyfriend can call your husband to help with his car. And, <laughs> and, you know, often that everybody is together sometimes. This entire convent, everybody takes care of the kids. I'm sure you guys have talked about this in other podcasts, but definitely the, the idea of having just you and the other person in, a, in, a, in a, a very close relationship has evolved to having friends with benefits or uh, uh, fuck buddies is a good term or uh, just relationships where you guys would do, uh, I'll say kinky stuff with each other, but you're not in a romantic relationship. So. You know, as those terms have evolved, it makes it seem that there's even more overlap with the poly and swinging communities than there ever had been. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, uh, you and I met at a sexy party a few Mm. years ago and developed a relationship from there eventually. And I think that that's one of the beautiful possibilities about these communities and the overlap between those communities. But yeah, I have noticed that polyamory can involve, like in my own life, relationships that are strictly kink-oriented, relationships that are strictly physical, or relationships that are, you know, sexual and all of the above. So things have have kind of become more of a catch-all phrase, I guess. Yeah, it seems that, I mean, if anything, it's an easier way that 
people can look to get into these communities where I, I imagine sometimes if if there if there feels like there's too many rules and boxes that you have to check off to get in, then it may deter people. But of course, once they get in and start learning more and learning more about consent and how to meet people and how to engage with, with folks in these communities, uh, I think, you know, you get more specialized, but initially uh, those catch-all terms may be a way to get more people more interested when they think that they wouldn't be able to before. Ooh, that actually reminds me of some of the like bisexual versus pansexual discourse a little bit, because like some of these terms can be good kind of beginning introductory, maybe catch all terms for people to be like, okay, I'm bi. That makes sense. And then a few years later, they go, wait a minute. It's is it more complicated than that? Mm. You know, or what does this mean exactly? You know, so I like that. But it seems like these terms have become more more overlap for sure. And like, I have a lot of friends in both communities. You know, I myself have floated between both communities. I think you and I both have in some ways. So that's cool. Well, I have one last question on this topic. Okay. Yeah. If someone were new to open relationships in general or ethical non-monogamy in general, and they were interested in getting involved in the swinger community or their polyamorous community, would you give them the same advice for both or different advice for these two communities? Absolutely. I'll say uh, over time, since the communities have become more and more like each other, consent, I've, you know, tried to tout in my own groups how important consent is, the swinger or not, you know, we need to learn more about, I guess, <laughs> keeping your hands to yourself and bodily autonomy and how that belongs to that person, and how that person's not there specifically for you. They're an actual person, you can interact with them. And, and seeing that there are more poly groups that are open to having, you know, sexy parties, you know, it wasn't, it didn't seem like that was a common thing beforehand. So it, it, it has a bit, been a bit easier to get more people in. Yeah. And so once again, the consent, and then I would probably go and explain how to communicate with people, definitely get into different groups that uh, that swinger people, swinger people and poly people are part of. I wouldn't aim for the gigantic SLS AFF websites. I'd probably see if there was someone I already knew and recommend them into taking me to a party or or taking me to an event that I can actually meet other people and watch them interact and kind of kind of keep my hands myself, kind of stick around my group and and learn, watch and learn. And and once again, once you're more comfortable reach out to other people and then kind of build a base from there. Cause just throwing yourself into these communities, you may come out not happy with your, your outcome. So it'd probably be best to have someone lead you into it. That's what I would recommend. I like that. And I often recommend similar advice for other communities. So mm. I like that. And actually I realized we got through this whole swinging and poly segment without even mentioning what I wanted to bring up, which was why you started your swinger group. Okay, yeah. I want to hear a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Cool. Um, well, so it, it, it's uh, a little complicated, but I, I will give you the short package version. But uh, I will say in, the, in a, the swinging community initially, maybe years ago, things I assume are a little bit different now. It was much harder for uh, me as a black man who was married to a white woman to get into certain groups. It, it didn't seem the same way when I was in, in, in poly groups. Uh, there was already an internet presence that I could kind of talk to a centralized group and, 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 and um, get in and people get to know me better. But un- unfortunately, it's not a lot of central groups in swinging, especially in this area anymore. And it does happen to feel like in order to be accepted, you're going to have to create your own separate things. So that's what I did. I had a group uh, a long time ago. It was, it was called BWL, which is Black, White, Latino. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah, it was it was it was strictly because I wanted everybody of different. I didn't want like, hey, interracial couples only. What yeah. I really wanted was people of different races different creeds kind of get together. We don't usually get into politics in my group. Uh, we try to make sure people aren't like after each other's throats, but the main part is consent, respect, and talking to each other. And then over time we end up, you know, I, I feel like that's the way to defeat racism. Is <laughs> You know, like, oh yeah, I had friend with, I have friends right there and I played with his wife. I know who that is and we're going to be better off because of it. But the, the group that I that I created is very multicultural, very multi-ethnic, and it seems to be better that way for us because we don't have to worry about like, am I even attractive to said person in this group? You know, because that part is is really important in 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 swinging is confidence. And if you walk in there and you feel like just your skin is unattractive, it's never a great thing. Never a great party. It's never you're you're looking for that one person who's okay that who thinks you're human. <laughs> You know, whereas in my group, you just come hang out, you talk to people and it doesn't matter. No one's looking at you going, I'm not sure if this person is the color that I'm, I, I want to play with. They just want to know about you and your personality. And if that matches, then we're, we're good to go. So that was one of the main reasons why I got my group together. And, and, and once again, it's a, it's a centralized thing. Swinging lacks that. Virtually no place really can go and meet other swingers very easily and, and, and feel like you're safe and comfortable there. Very good point. Yeah. Mo all, almost all the swinger events I've been to have been at big hotels. So yeah. Or, you know, house parties and whatnot. So, and you don't always know everybody usually. <laughs> so I like the idea of like a group that is like mixed creeds and races and, and faiths probably and yes. politics and, <laughs> and all trying to be friends and have sexy times together and get to know each other as real people. I like that. Cool. Well, thank you so much. We're going to touch back on a couple of these topics in a later segment, but we're going to wrap this up for now. Uh, thank you, Ken, for coming on You're my podcast. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited to put these out. So Cool. The best way that you can help Lesson 83 is to share our podcast with your friends. Sharing is caring. This episode was edited by Jackson Menton. Music by Anti Lude and logo design by Carmen Balding. Hydration okay. is important. Nom nom. <laughs> is that better? <laughs>